Hey, Rodney. What's happening? How you doing? You know, I, I don't really have a shtick for today, but I want to say <laughs> clean air plants. Plants. There's a NASA list of, of uh, I think it's 12 plants that uh, actually purify the air in in rooms and in homes. And you should have them. I have a bonsai over here. It's not on the list. Actually, the tree is, but whatever. Um, I recommend them. Mm. I put plants in my office and I feel more better. There's all this tech and lights and stuff. I like mm. the plants. It makes it feel... Normally, you don't recommend things. You just talk about them. So that's powerful. Yeah. I'm recommending plants. And now, what I'm not going to recommend, what I'm going to talk about is the fact that I talk to my plants. Um, you might say that makes me a little unhinged. I think it helps hinge me. But, but more, more importantly, as you said, you didn't have a shtick, and then you delivered a good shtick. Mm. And that's kind of like me answering the question, do you have anything to say? No, but I do. <laughs> when I started talking, I had no idea what I was going to say, and I looked over and saw a bonsai on my desk. And I was like, where are we going to go? Let's go. Let's, Let's go. go. Let's go. <laughs> Welcome back to the More In Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith. And I am the other host, Rodney. And I just want to remind you that what Keith and I are all about is compassionate conversation. And we define compassionate conversation as insightful, open, honest conversation. And the thing about compassion is that you can give it even if you don't like somebody, even if you disagree with them. It's this beautiful, freeing thing that exists that we believe will make the world uh, uh, just such a better place. So thank you for being on this journey with us as we elevate our compassion and you elevate yours. And today we're bringing to you an amazing conversation with our man, Sherwin. Sherwin Cooper. Sherwin is an inspirational dude. And we have an awesome conversation that, that starts off talking about separating your idols from them as human beings because we don't really know them and we get into the conversation of the burden of 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 social responsibility to how we vote and really dig in he's a black man that talks about the the feeling that he needs to be blue but he doesn't necessarily jive with it all the time so it's a really deep conversation and then we talk about you know his venture in his entrepreneurship um and his entrepreneurship so um it's a great conversation he's just he's a good soul indeed and before we jump into it because it is a great conversation i just want to remind you more in common ent.com that's where you can find all things more in common support the cause let's get, let's, let's get our compassion up all right let's check out this episode instance you know my whole family is democratic um i've kind of moved to the point where i'm more independent and when i turned 18 to piss my dad off i put republican down even though i still voted blue right because i just didn't like the fact that i was being forced into this box you know like i could not possibly agree with anything on the other side Sherwin Cooper is our guest today. We're excited to have him here. Sherwin was born in Boston and is an ex-software engineer who decided to go out on his own. After stumbling upon Turo, which is a story you will hear about later in this conversation, a car sharing platform, 
um, while he was on vacation, he decided to get plugged into it and bought his first car, creating his first side hustle. And after a year, he had 22 cars and was suddenly an entrepreneur ready to leave his career as a software engineer. He has also created a basketball recruiting channel on YouTube called Ballast TV and recently started his own podcast, Six Figure Side Hustle. Sherwin, how are you today? Thank you for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Clubhouse Connection coming through. First one, actually. First of many. There's actually quite a few now, but you're the first. So knowing that you and Keith are both New Englanders, I would say Patriot fans, but let's just be honest. You're Tom Brady fans. Both things are true. I saw a post the other day. Well, this is about Tom Brady, not Patriot. So that's why I say it. I frame it like that. Yeah. So I saw a post the other day that said, it's interesting that we'll call Colin Kaepernick to the carpet for his politics, but not Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. Now, I have some thoughts about this, but I want to hear what you two have to say about it. I specifically think you are referring to the 2016 incident during the campaign when a MAGA hat was found in his locker. I am not. That post may have been. I'm just making a general question because I have a couple thoughts about this on many sides. But I will say just I pay a fair amount of attention to what's going on around Tom Brady from a football perspective. But that has come back up again recently since he won the Super Bowl. So we are specifically referring to that. Mm. So I do have thoughts, but I will defer to Sherwin over here. Oh, man, it puts me in a really tough spot, right? Being an African-American man, I am on the East Coast, so automatically I have to be blue. And I understand both sides of it. I understand certain people who say, this is football, right? We're supposed to keep politics and all the rest of that crap out of it, so it shouldn't really matter, right? But then I also understand being a minority, we feel like we really don't have a voice, right? So the people that do have the voice, which would usually be our stars, right? You know, guys like Colin Kaepernick, he has to speak for us where we can't speak. He has a platform and I almost require him to do those things. You know what I mean? I know his political view might be completely opposite of Tom Brady. Maybe I'm being biased because Tom Brady can do no wrong in my eyes, but the MAGA hat really didn't bother me, man. I'm really okay with people's personal views. I don't think he meant to do it in a way that was disrespectful to anybody. I mean, if he as his Trump hat, so be it. You know, if he was coming out and speaking against Colin Kaepernick and his right and all the rest of the stuff like that, I think that I could be impartial enough to be like, hey, listen, man, like, don't do that. But it's really tough. I'm totally biased on it. Tom Brady can do no wrong, but I'm okay with it, man. As long as he's not talking down on Cap or whatever it is like that, I'm, I'm okay with it. Let's not get this a-hole out the league and you have to stand or whatever, because he doesn't. I'm okay with Brady's point of this. So what I think about it, I think Tom Brady is the biggest star in all of football. And anything he does gets amplified with a telescope on the ground. This happened in 2016, the hat. And he actually didn't express any political alignment. He simply got a gift from a golf buddy of his. Should he be challenged on it? Absolutely. I think there is a place to say, so where do you stand on this? Tom Brady, as an individual, does not talk about politics. So we actually don't know where he stands. We know his wife does. Giselle is super outspoken against Trump. And we don't know where Tom Brady's politics are because he never talks about it. And he got asked about it recently before the Super Bowl. 
and gave the worst answer because it didn't answer it. He was taken. It was just bad. And I heard that and I, I got a little cringe. It was like, ugh, gross. It was a cringy moment. It was like, Tommy, you didn't answer it. You sidestepped it significantly, but it was a question about the double standard, right? And I think it's everybody's, they bring it up, talk to him about it. Do I wish he would speak out so we know more? Yes, I absolutely do. Do I think it's his right to keep his mouth shut and just play football? Absolutely. I look at Tom Brady as a football player. I'm not his friend. We're not BFFs. So I don't have any other frame other than I love him as a football player. I lose a little respect for him as a man because he doesn't, but that's just based on my own expectations. If he came out as the biggest star in football and said, I kneel with Kaepernick or I stand with my black brothers. He does wear end racism under his helmet, which is a choice by all football players and what they want to wear under their helmet. If he did that, I would have more respect for him as a human being because that would just take so much balls to do. But at the same time, like I don't have enough information to judge him other than he had a hat in his locker during the campaign of 2016, almost five years ago, right? So part of the, I think, question comes up, because like the only reason it got called into question for Kaepernick is because he decided to sit and then kneel during the anthem. So like then his politics were a question. It was like, oh, why are you doing this? Police. Oh, he wore the pig socks. Like then it became like a thing for the media to ask at around practice and stuff. And the only reason it became a thing to ask about for Brady, because he doesn't talk about it, is that he brought the hat into his locker room where he knows the press is after games. So it's like, he doesn't say anything, but did he say something by bringing the hat into the locker room? And there's a question, and we don't know how the hat got there. Was it given to him in the locker room? Was it like, we don't know. I mean, he could easily any, said that wasn't my hat or I didn't put it there. that's the issue with, I think, him as a professional athlete is that he is so myopically focused on football that he is significantly tone deaf when it comes to social issues. I think he's tone deaf. He doesn't want to talk about it. So he takes that position that I'm not going to talk about it. Even during Deflategate, he didn't want to talk about it. And he was super uncomfortable and awkward and people wanted to know, but he wasn't going to answer anybody's questions because he's so myopically focused on the competition that everything else just doesn't he doesn't communicate it like we do. And I'm not giving him a pass. It is bad the way he does it, in my opinion. So you said, like, what if he came out and said, I stand with Cap or I kneel with Cap? But like, what if he came out and was like, nah, Trump is my homie. I mean, at one point they were friends. At one point they were friends, yeah. We don't know if they still are. They could be. But if he came out and was like, no, that's my homie. That's who I voted for. How would you feel? I'm going to go to Sherwin first on this. The good old counterfactual hypothetical. It's just, this is a podcast. We can do yeah, that. It's good. I like it. I, it's easy for me to do because I'm a third party observer. I don't have a strong feeling about him. So it's hard for me because I, I jump point views from the right to the left. I think I agree with individual points that both sides make. So I'd be more interested in hearing what he had to say about Colin Kaepernick himself in the kneeling rather than if he supported Trump. Right. Because if he would have been like, listen, you know, Trump's my friend. I lean to the right. I'm Republican, but I respect Cap's right to do whatever. I think I could be OK with it. But if he would have told me, like, this bastard needs to stand for the flag or, you know, you're a spoiled brat who makes all these millions of dollars, then I had to tell him, you know, go screw yourself. You know what I mean? So I think I would be more interested in hearing about Cap in that specific 
political ideology, if you want to call it that, than rather if he supports Trump. Mm, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, we do live in a free country of shared and differing ideologies, right? And especially at the time where many of us could have looked at Trump and said, yeah, this guy has the potential to be really dangerous, which ultimately panned out, right? <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Often. Often twenty twenty. It's just a political candidate that, hey, had he said I voted for him in 2016, I would have been like, yeah, but I got family members that voted for him. I still talk to them. I still love them. I don't go out and just cancel them because they're Trump supporters. That being said, if he came out in a similar fashion and was like, hell yes to January 6th, like good on all those people for storming the Capitol, right? Then you're really showing your colors as a human being. And not just a political ideology, to Sherwin's point, if he comes out and similar to like Drew Brees, like just shows an anti-support for the equality and equity, or let's say his helmet thing says blue lives matter or something like that, because he wants to be anti the message of equity and equality, at least from my perspective, I'm not down for that. And I probably wouldn't root for him in the Super Bowl as a Tampa Bay Buck. But similar to like Belichick, because Belichick writes a letter to Trump, right? And everybody, oh, and Trump reads it in front of the New Hampshire at a rally in 2016. And then he gets the Presidential Medal of Honor as Trump is leaving and he doesn't accept it. Now, he doesn't give a stand your ground like I can't support this after January 6th message but he still turned it down, right? So that gives you more of an insight into the character of a human being in situations like that versus whether or not they have a hat in their locker room. But I do think it's fair for people to ask about it. Yeah, and it's really nuanced. And I think, at least for me, at the meta point or the actual conversation is less about Brady and less about Kaepernick and more about how they're viewed and why they're viewed that way. Yeah. When we can look at Tom Brady as a Trump hat, meh. Colin Nils, oh God, like this black dude better be thankful that he has a job in the NFL or like, why isn't he JJ Watt so great? Or why does he celebrate and he's so boisterous about it? It's just this inequality and it's in the NFL, but like it zooms out to other places and you brought up Drew Brees, Keith. And I think like he may just be straight up against it. I think a lot of the comments that I've read about Drew Brees or from Drew Brees, like his comments on the thing were just it seems like a lack of education. Like he just doesn't know. And that's not to give him a pass at all. I think there there's a lack of education. But one of the things I think, and I know this for Keith Sherwin, I don't know about you, but like we are able to see the nuance in people and whether or not I agree with who you voted for, I could still root for you. I could even still like you. I could still support you or not. I mean, there's different scenarios. So I don't ask to drive a wedge between your love of, of the Brady. I just, Thought it was an interesting combo. No, I'd be curious to get your closing thoughts on the topic if we want to close the topic, Sherwin. But I think it's a it's a great conversation. And we've talked about this once before, and it is the idea: never meet your heroes because you really don't know them as a person. Like Tom Brady, to me, he is the best of all time football player. He is the best of all time quarterback. I love watching him play. 
I love how he is with his teammates. I love that he can be 43 and still bond with 21-year-olds. At that type of leadership, those types of things are admirable. Do I know him as a human being? Seems like a good dad. Seems like a pretty good husband. But at the end of the day, I'm not having dinner with him, connecting with him, having that conversation. I'd, I'd love to. And I may walk away going, man, I really don't like him. But I, I can separate those two facts and remove the art from the artist, as you once said, right? I did say that once. So that would be my final thought on it. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. My respect for him as a human may have changed. I might not have him as my profile pick on Facebook like I do currently, but I can still accept the fact that he's an unbelievable football player. Maybe I'm not as vocal about it. I can still respect this, you know, as a football player, but, you know, definitely the level of support definitely can change. I will say, I think the equivalency is more with Drew Brees because he was so outspoken. And it wasn't that he was outspoken in, you know, against kneeling for the national anthem. It's that he doubled and tripled down on it until like the pressure got too much. But the pressure on him wasn't whether or not he was going to be in the NFL. The pressure on him was how people felt about him. And there was never a question of, is Drew Brees going to be a quarterback in the NFL next year? Because the owners are going to look at this in a bad way. That's the equivalency that says, yes, there is an entirely big double standard that Colin Kaepernick could never get back in the league because of his stand or kneel for equal justice. Yet we never even questioned whether or not Drew Brees was going to be in the league because, I mean, why would we do that? Right. Well, he's white. But I think I've updated the Never Meet Your Heroes to just realize your heroes are human. Unless it's a superhero. But, like, just realize that they're human. Yeah. Which Tom Brady might be a superhero. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny you say you want to put him as a profile pick. Because I'm thinking about putting myself as my profile pick. I'm like, man, if I think back to some of the stuff that I fucked up, I shouldn't even be my profile pick. Like, it should be Batman or Black Panther. Like, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't know, Sherwin. Do you feel put on the spot? I'm curious. Or do you? No, nah, man, I think this is a, sheesh, this is such a great conversation. I wasn't even expecting it to go this way. But no, I think it's important to hear these points of views. It's, I love it. So when it comes to creating space and psychological safety, the rawness of the curiosity of your question, you weren't coming at it like, hey, man. How do you support him? I need facts. Why do you support the hat in 20? I've, actually, I forgot about the hat until you brought it up, to be honest. Yeah. Like, why do you support him? And really challenging it from a, a judgment standpoint is a different way than saying, hey, like, how do you all feel about this? And I call that out specifically. Like, that's part of the way you create psychological safety is embrace and engage with curiosity. I will toss it to you. And I have another question, but if you have one, you can go. Since we're on like a train of, oh, of you got something controversial energy, I kind of okay, go. yeah, I want to stay on it. So, you said in the lead up to this conversation, being in the Northeast, I almost automatically have to be blue. You're a black man in the Northeast. So, there is a media narrative, obviously, and the, the expectation that we got to get the black voters and Democrats will win and all this other stuff. Since you said that, I'm curious. Do you feel that way? What is that sentiment for you? Yeah, man, it's, um, it's really hard even now because even if I say I only represent myself, just I represent 
I hate to use the word my people because we're all one human race, but I do have to represent people who come from where I come from, who look like what I look like. So it, there is definitely a pressure, right? For instance, you know, my whole family is democratic. I've kind of moved to the point where I'm more independent. And when I turned 18 to piss my dad off, I put Republican down, even though I still voted blue, right? Because I just didn't like the fact that I was being forced into this box. Like I could not possibly agree with anything on the other side. So it's definitely tough because, you know, if I'd have got out of here and I'd have been like, well, I kind of agree with Trump, you know, that guy should stand. It's like everybody's like, you can't be black. What the hell's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Joe Biden got on the Breakfast Club podcast. Yeah, just Joe Biden got on Breakfast Club. And then you were about to say, if you're not black, you're not, you're not a Democrat. I think that's what he said. Or Ameri like, if you don't vote for me, you're not you're not black. That's what he said. I don't like the fact that he can count on my vote just because of the color of my skin without appealing to you know, the things that I think are important for the black community, because I don't think him or and a lot of Democrats have appealed to our needs. You know what I mean? It's almost like we're your only choice because the other side are a bunch of racist hillbillies, because that's the way they point it out to be. Right. Obviously, it's not all true. Maybe how true it is, I don't know. But I despise that, you know, so I'm trying to come at it from a point of view of this is what I think we need. And I'm going to bring it to side left, side right. Who's going to do something for what we need? I don't think that's too selfish because we're talking about inequality and we want to be all equal. But if we feel like we're the ones who are treated unequal, then I need to come specifically with what we need to make things all equal. As a black man in this country, some of the rub comes in. The truth of the matter to this point has been neither is going to do anything for us. So it is literally a picking of who's going to do the least harm or who I think is going to do the least harm to me or my family or people who look like me or people who don't even look like me, but might be in a worse situation, LGBTQ or whatever. I think that makes it really tough to even vote. And I think the system as it is now, like, you know, we always have these wedge issues. That's how left and right get people to move on topics and on voting. And really we're just being wedged from each other and really solving issues. And then we're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to be Republican. I got to be a Democrat. And it's like, no, nah, no, nah, like, why don't we go back to ground zero and solve issues, which is what it was meant to be. Yeah, I think we have to pick the issues that are most important to us and then kind of go that because you just can't have it all. You know, like, for instance, if you are pro-life, right, how is it possible for you to vote on the other side, right? How is it possible for you to vote Democrat? Like, let's say you believe in economically what Democrats believe, right? But your strong stance is pro-life. It, it almost forces you on this side. Well, I don't know. Shouldn't there be another color for me where I believe in, you know, that specific thing? And then something else, like, why can't I be purple? You know what I mean? Like somewhere in between. It's so hard. You know, if you have too strong of beliefs on one thing, it forces you in a corner or not. You know what I mean? And I don't like feeling that way. And I feel like specifically black people and black men are forced into that because, well, it doesn't really matter if you believe in the economics of the right, they're racist. So how could you ever stand on that side? Right. I spent most of my younger life being Republican, being on the conservative side of politics. And even when I could vote, voting Republican a couple of times. And 
I'm not Republican now. I'm not Democrat now. However, there are black Republicans that I absolutely support. And there are black Republicans that I absolutely do not support. And same thing with Democrats. And I think it has more to do with being honest to what's going on. You can hold the core values of being Republican and still care about equality. Now, the narrative is that that can't exist. But that's not true. Because it really, it's about how we govern. Now, we've shrouded it in pro-life, pro-choice, gun rights, protectionism, like all this other bullshit that has nothing to do with, like, the core of it is, like, how we govern. And it has nothing to do with equality. Like, now, the base of the system is built on inequality, so that's a whole other thing, but... I thank you both for sharing. And Rodney, I was going to ask you, do you feel that pressure too? But I think you pretty much answered it. We do need to acknowledge that, and this is the challenge that we're in right now, is we were built almost on a binary system. We had more three parties, but it's always been pretty much a binary system at a time where culturally we had fewer people. And really only one of those groups, actually only part of one of those groups could actually vote white men were the vote so everything was simple relative to what we're running on so we can run on common policies and you fast forward we have a crap load more about 10x the amount of people and you have two parties that are vying for control and power and you have a culture that has a rising voice of a population the black population that was intentionally suppressed for almost our entire history. And you have more international immigrant populations. It's not just European immigration. It's Latin American, South American, West Asian, East Asian, East European. So there are so many different components. And yet we still try to put that all into two buckets. And the way that politicians do it is by creating those wedge issues. And these wedge issues are created by politicians under the guise of independent thought. Like you need to have independent thought, but think what I'm telling you to think. So you become aligned to this ideology rather than actually thinking for yourself. And then you get people who say, I'm a QAnon conspiracist because I think for myself and I'm only here because someone told me to be here. So it's super complex. And then people don't do shit. And it's an interesting, interesting conversation. Like, Well, it's like if you're black, you're blue. If you're a police officer, you're red. You know, all these boxes. We're just trying to simplify it so we can, all right, I got you. I know what you are. I don't have to engage with you to figure out what you actually are. Yeah. I hate it. Hate being put in a box. That being said, thank you for indulging my question. It was a very nuanced answer, which we greatly appreciate here at More in Common. So if I understand correctly, you've started a couple of businesses or at least one, been pretty successful. And prior to this actual conversation we're having right now, you shared with us that you realized that you're not really driven by things like you thought you were. And I'm curious, how did you figure that out? What's that journey been for you? Yeah, man, it had a lot to do with the business, because I think that most of us, we're trying to pay the mortgage, we're trying to pay the bills, and that's the goal, right? But when you reach a certain set of goals, or you have enough money to pay the necessity, then what's left? You know what I mean? So by no means, I was I a millionaire, but the first month I made like 12,000 bucks, 
and I paid all the bills. And then there was still eight, seven grand in my bank account that I literally could almost do whatever I wanted with it. I'm like, what's going to happen now? So I was, you know, living with my girlfriend. I bought a Porsche because it was my dream car. And then I started to realize that I don't even drive that car. And the only time I drove my Porsche is when me and my girlfriend wanted to go out on a date and for us to look nice. Or when I was going to hang out with my friends and we'd go out to the club or something like that. It wasn't for me. If I needed to drive to the corner store, I'd just hop in my Camry and go. I didn't really care. You know what I mean? So it was really the experience for other people to have the experience when they got in the car and they're like, oh my God, this is such a nice car. I'm like, I've probably driven that car over the winter like three times. You know what I mean? I don't even touch it. You know, and I realized the real reason I bought it, you know, like, I guess people would say girls or whatever, but I already had my girl. So I'm just like, it was just for other people. So the money is about me going on vacations, not by myself, because what the hell do I want to go to Mexico by myself for? I want to go with my friends. You know, I'm the guy that we go out to the bar. I'm going to order a round of shots because that's the only reason why I have money is to provide. And I'm really simple outside of that. Like I said, I could sleep on a couch. I don't really need nice things. I've bought expensive clothes and stuff like that. But for the most part, I'm going to wear the same sweatpants the entire week. So it sounds like you questioned your motives, like why you had the car in the first place. You know, big time, man. Money is this goal for us, right? And then you get a certain... And by no means, I'm not a billionaire or a millionaire. I don't mean that at all. But once you get enough, whatever that is for you, where you can pay yourself or whatever... None of the rest of it matters. You know, my dog got sick. He had got brain cancer and I, I probably spent like 30 grand on him, which is nuts. When I think about it. Right. But I mean, that was the purpose of money. Right. When somebody needs something to be able to do for them, if I didn't have the money. The extra year and a half that he spent with us would have gone. So I realized my money's only for my happiness was him, not the money. Right. And I used the money to spend more time with him. And that's, that's my only goal to have money is that when somebody else needs that I can do it. So the purpose of money is happiness, and that's the people and the living things around you, the dogs. How do you define success for yourself? Success is meaning, and it's not just happiness. For me, I kind of look at myself as a provider slash protector. So me being able to provide and protect people that I love is success to me. You know what I mean? I coach, making sure the kids that I coach don't get tied up in gangs and drugs. That's success. It's not a monetary amount, but it does help to have money to get to the point. That's why it's this catch 22. You know what I mean? To give them a couple of dollars. So, you know, at least for the point being, they don't do stupid stuff. You know what I mean? They want a pair of sneakers, self-esteem issue, but until you cross that bridge here, have your Jordans, man. So the girl in your class can like you. And we can talk about why that was important later, but at least let me get you to that point right now to stop you from doing kind of nonsense. So the money allows you to have some options and stuff like that. And again, like I just realized I didn't need any of it. You know what I mean? Outside of getting to a certain point to help other people. So success is definitely the relationships and those type of goals. So this idea that for you, your life is about helping other people is clear in the last two questions we've asked. When I think about the reason you think about voting Democrat is you feel that you are looking out for other people in your vote. 
it's not just about how you feel about taxes or anything like that. It's like, it's about the community and then money, same thing. And when you were answering that first question, you said people who I look like and people who come from where I came. So where is it that you came and how did that shape this mentality? I'm from the inner city of Boston. I'm out of pain and I had some of the same struggles that most inner city kids have. I also had a two parent home. So I know that I'm a little bit different than a lot of my counterparts, even like my first cousins and stuff like that. You could tell I had a little bit more opportunity. And even though I believe there is systematic oppression for people that look like me in my community, I've been able to escape it a little bit more than other people. And I realize that other people can't. So I kind of feel like my responsibility is now that I have kind of those blessings is to make sure that I help them. Like I don't need to vote for somebody's taxes or cut to for me to make it. And I'm going to be okay, Charlotte. It doesn't really matter for me if someone blue or red is in, in the office individually. But I'm not really worried about me. I'm worried about everybody else, right? Because I can be okay, but you know, if everybody around me is starving, then they're probably going to climb through my window at night to get a loaf of bread, right? So you can be selfish and unselfish at the same time. I want to live a certain lifestyle. And if everybody around me is living like crap, then I'm not going to live that lifestyle. I don't want to be the rich man on the hill. And again, I don't make millions by any means, but... I'm sorry to stop your thought. I just, that thought of selfish and unselfish. We just published an episode where the vast majority, like much of the conversation anchored on this. A little bit Buddhist, a little bit metaphysical. I am you, you are me. But I think even at a more tactical level, if people that live around me are hungry, then I'm actually at risk if I have all the food because they know they can come to me and ask for it, take it, whatever. If I help them learn how to get it, then I'm going to be safer. And it seems like that would be a healthy way to live in communities in general, cities, towns, states. I like that. Now, do you feel pressure of that responsibility you put on yourself? Yes. And I, and I, and I like it because it, that to me, that gives me purpose, right? Nothing may feel better than providing helping for other people. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe that comes from my dad. When we went out as a young child, he would pick up the bill at every restaurant, paid the entire bill. He paid the bills in the house. You know what I mean? Like I saw him provide and it was not that my mom didn't make any money or whatever it is like that. It's just the fact that he took it upon himself and I could see joy and it wasn't narcissism to say like, I'll stick your chest up. I'm this guy and nobody can do what I can do. But generally seeing a smile on somebody else's face. I mean, the feeling is bar none for me, at least there is this. I guess, teetering point, right? Where, for instance, when I bought my Porsche, when I drive up and kids who look like me see me in a Porsche and know that it doesn't come from drugs, right? Some of them, it motivates them, right? But then there might be some guys on the corner who look and say, well, this asshole thinks he's better than me, right? So I probably should take it from it. It's hard, you know? I don't want to be the guy that comes around yeah, like even rappers and stuff like this don't talk about this. Like even Nipsey Hussle lost his life. He talks about the reason why he built this store in his neighborhood. He comes through and he drives through with a Bentley and a million dollar chain is a show people listen. I came from here and you can do this. And that works for some people. But then there's also going to be guys in that neighborhood that say, well, you don't deserve that. You just kind of lucked out who are going to want to be jealous. And unfortunately, he lost his life. That To me, that was a lot of jealousy, too. So there's this teetering point where I don't want to be showing off, but I also want to be an inspiration at the same time too. So you 
got to kind of balance that, which is... What do you two think about the psychology of that? Because I think I feel a lot of those same feelings. And there's the wanting to be a good example. And then maybe the next step, and I, I don't know if you guys agree with this, maybe the next step of owning the outcome. If somebody sees it and they're like, oh, that's going to drive me to go to school and get good grades, or it's going to drive me to just go harder on the block and make money my way. It seems like that next step would be less healthy individually after trying to be an example. But what do you, I don't know, what do y'all think? Or does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think the difference between those two people is the ground floor of where they're at in life. Depending on where they're at at the moment, they're going to take it in two different ways. And I think your relationship with people too, often you find that the people you're closest with, at least for me, when I go and I get things, it, you kind of look more like a show off, right? Because they know me intimately, right? And it's like, well, all of a sudden you're this different person. Sometimes you find people that you don't know as well. They're just like, whoa, that's inspirational. You know what I'm saying? Because for me, sometimes you have this almost like a sibling rivalry thing with friends. You know what I mean? A lot of my friends, we grow, we all played basketball. We all wanted to be the best, you know, whatever. We were good friends, but there's always this competitive nature. So if I come and I make a hundred thousand, my mom's going to be like, well, X just bought two houses. Why are you still renting? You know what I mean? So it's easier to compare yourself when you really know people, <laughs> but it depends on your relationship, I think, and where that person is in their life, you know? This, I think, is why the don't give a shit about what other people think mentality has come about. And what I like about the nuance and what you're saying, because I play it out in my head, is as the achiever, I take that responsibility to lift other people up. And if you choose to be in the group that is going to try to tear me down for whatever reason, I want to have compassion for you and say, that's too bad. I'm here to help, but I'm not going to be burdened by your burden. And there is a sociological element to this, especially in the capitalist competitiveness of Western society. Tiger Woods is a great example. Everybody loves that rising, especially amongst black men, contrasted to white people in particular. Everybody loves that underdog, that rising story. Oh, everybody's go tiger, go wait, tiger, you're a little too far. And then he cheats on his wife or it comes out and it's like, jump on it. Let's go. Let's get after him because we want to tear him down. And now everybody's back in the Tiger Woods camp of saying, oh, but now he's pulling himself back out of that. People support him again because can't have, especially a black man, too high on the rung. And that happens, I mean, within the diaspora, right, as well. We talked about it a little bit with the NFL thing. I mean, there's very much this entertainer, entertainment view of black men and, and even black women. I mean, Beyonce and you are here to entertain us until you get too successful or you go too far or you say something we don't like. And then it's like, ah, we got to remove that platform unless we can't because you're Jay-Z and you're smart and you diversified. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're in that position, you just got to control your space as much as you can. And I mean, I love the anchor on that mentality as much as you can until it endangers you, right? Because jealousy can lead to violent acts. Yeah, I don't know if you watch, um, it's called Vlad TV, uh, DJ Vlad. Obviously, I do not watch it. I did not know. Yeah, heard. he's a popular DJ in the hip hop community. 
white guy, but he, he interviews a lot of rappers and stuff like that. And one of his interviews that he always goes back to is a rapper, Lil Boozy. And one of these says is most rappers get killed in their own hood, meaning like where they're from. So when you become successful, even if you want to help, you've got to move out of that environment because it goes kind of back to what I was talking about. People know you and the jealousy is so much higher. You know, if you went to high school with a kid and, you know, you guys were both talking to the same level of girls in high school and all of a sudden now you're walking back with Beyonce and Laura London, you know, he could be happy for you or he could be like, this dude's no better than me. And if he doesn't have a means to become you, that's grounds for jealousy, you know? So he may try to do something like that, you know? And he, he always goes back to it because there's been multiple rappers who have been killed. And it's usually in their home state, like what happened with Nipsey Hussle. And it's one of those things you've, you've got to kind of balance. You want to do for you, but... Jay-Z talks about this a lot. It's kind of a theme through many of his albums, at least one that I picked up on. And he talks about staying the same him. Like if he would have, he would have gone and said, I'm sorry, mama. I know I promise I wouldn't change, but if I would have stayed the same me, he's acknowledging not only that he had to change, he had to evolve. If he was still that dude on the street, he probably wouldn't be here. And actually his best friend like got locked up. Rap saved his life, but then he evolved. And with that evolution, like we've seen it with some of his business relationships, he's had to change who he's around. And I think if I listen to not just Jay-Z and rappers, but just anybody who's successful, that is a thing that happens because that whole birds of a feather flock together, or you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most, or the environment that you're in and the energy that you're in. Like if there's a mismatch, it can cause problems. Not to say that you shouldn't stay in your hood, but there could be an issue with it. I mean, You can't hang out in Mark's projects (laughs) every day. And then you add to the fact an individual who is in that frame of mind to be jealous has some personal challenges, whatever they might be navigating their own life for whatever reason that might be. And it only adds to the ire if you leave the community and then surround yourself with different people. Because as that individual, you want to be successful. So you surround yourself with the average of the five people, right? Like you want to be the average of the five people you surround yourself with. So if I do that for my own well-being, that person who's struggling feels left out, left behind. Why didn't you bring me? Like it's a deep psychology of just the individual. And it's a, I mean, it's a hard thing to be responsible for other people's psychology, you know? Well, ultimately you can't because they're going to be jealous if you stay. They're going to be jealous if you leave. They're jealous of your success and what they're not doing. You can't own that. You can be compassionate. You can try to love them as a person, but you can't fix that jealousy for them that I know of. We're coming up on time. So I want to be super respectful to it. And this might be too long of an answer, but talking about this space of making decisions and providing and all that. I mean, you were a software engineer and decided to leave that and start your own thing. It's a ride sharing service and you bought a car and then you got 22 cars after one year and you turned it into your own business. Like, how did you come to make that decision? Like most people say with business, it's finding a need and kind of fulfilling it. And for me, it was a need that I wanted. I was coaching basketball and we would go to Vegas every year for this big tournament and we would rent like three 15 passenger vans, right? And then every time where I needed to go to 
the burger shop or whatever it is like that, I'd have to go to one of the other coaches and be like, you know, who has the key for the van and driving that huge van to go there. It was a pain, right? If I wanted to just go anywhere, I had to drive in a big van or I had to like coordinate it with other people because other people want the car. So I was like, listen, I just want my own car to be able to get from A to B. And I'm a procrastinator. So while I was on the airplane, I was looking up car rentals. And when I was there, when I was looking it up, the prices were like 150 bucks a day. And I'm just like, F that. There's no way I'm paying that much money. I find this Toro thing. There's a cheap car. Boom. I'm like, at least even if it's a scam, I'll lose a hundred bucks or whatever. Long story short, best thing I ever did. I didn't need anything special. It was just a car to get from A to B, from my hotel to get a burger. When that worked, the numbers started going off in my head, right? Because I'm an engineer. And I go, listen, if there are people like me who need that kind of service, then okay, let's kind of do it. So I'm excited. I go home, I buy a car, and I find there's a whole lot more people like me than people who want to drive nice, expensive cars or whatever. So when I got to the point where I started having regulars who needed cars and because I didn't have any cars, I felt bad. Here comes this provider thing again, right? When this lady, she's renting my car to take our kids to school or whatever, I feel like, you know, a jerk when I tell her I don't have a car to give you. She's just like, you know, so every time that happened, I'd buy a new car. And then all of a sudden it's 22. You know, this that whole provider thing, right? People are asking me for cars. They don't have it. And I'm just like, okay, let me go and get a car. When I got to that point, again, I was an engineer because I was good at it, not really because I liked it, right? Or the money that came from it. Because the money, and I didn't realize this at this point, it was all because I wanted enough money to spend time with the people that I love. And when that first $10,000 a month came and I realized I'm at work and I don't want to be physically here, why am I doing it? I'm just like, oh, I'm going to quit. And then I had all this time. And it was time to myself. And there was a month or two of depression there, just sitting there watching, binge watching TV shows. And I'm just like, well, all my friends are at work now. And now that I have freedom, I'm twiddling my fingers. Yeah, I'll spend more time with my dog and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, well, now I need to figure out <laughs> what to do with this free time to help people. So I started doing things and volunteering on stuff, reading stuff. But I realized that it wasn't the money. It wasn't just the free time. It was being spending free time in the money with the people, you know, so that's kind of how it, it kind of came full circle. And then helping others. The reason why I grew so fast is I found a guy on YouTube. <laughs> he had like 40 cars in Chicago. And I said, hey, man, I said, listen, can you teach me what you know? Like, I'll pay you. And just me telling him I'll pay you. He, he was just like, OK, he's like, oh, 100 bucks an hour, 100 bucks an hour is a lot. But he was able to tell me everything I needed in about 45 minutes. And I'm like, OK, cool. After that, he never charged me a dime again because I listened to him. You know what I mean? So that was back to my little life hack thing. But yeah, once I had all that time, and again, it's not a ton of money. Now I realize 12 grand a month isn't a ton of money when you're trying to do lots of different things, but it was enough. Rents paid, car notes paid, and I'm just like, whatever, let's go do some hood rat stuff. And that's what I realized I started doing, you know, taking. I call them my kids, but they're grown now, 23, 24. We'd go out to clubs or go out to eat or just anything, you know, vacation somewhere or something. And that's kind of how I got there. That's good. Could you explain your life hack real quick about paying, like what you did with him, the person you found? Find somebody successful, right? And literally steal their knowledge, right? Because my brother always told me, a geek can't wait to show you how smart they were. And he was talking about in terms of like, 
tutoring and stuff like that. So if you're getting C's in a class and there's a guy who's getting A's, you can almost get them to tutor you for free if you present it in the way of show me how smart you are. You know what I mean? Like, show me what you're good at and they'll be happy to do that. So he'll help you with your calculus because he's good at calculus. And if you're not wasting his time, you're listening and absorbing stuff. He loves it. You know, if you're there and, you know, you're twiddling your thumbs while he's trying to help you, he's just like, whatever, dude, you're not respecting my genius. But if you respect somebody's genius, I think the easy way of doing that is offering them money. Right. Because when you're good at stuff, you should get paid at it, paid for it. Right. So if someone offers to pay you to do their hair or whatever and stuff, they're going to be happy to do it. And I offered that guy money. I didn't even put a number. I said, listen, I'll pay you. He put the price on what his time was worth, 100 bucks an hour. Right. And he was thinking it was crazy. I said, okay, fine. It's a hundred bucks. Who cares? You know what I mean? In a large scheme of things. And from that day on, he's made me 10,000 times that. You know what I mean? So it's come full circle. And every time I call him now, he doesn't ask me for a hundred bucks an hour. We're actually friends now because we built our, our bond that way. You know, the perception of our rich people or successful people are selfish. I haven't found that if you really take their time. Like if you go and you find a guy who's good at basketball, and he tells you dribble like this, right? And then he sees you in the gym every day doing that. The next time he's going to come over to you like, hey, man, now do this. You know, he's going to help. Guys in the gym. If you ask a guy in the gym who's really strong, I work out a lot, right? If you ask him for a spot, he's going to come over every time because by asking him for a spot, you're acknowledging how great he is at that thing. You look like somebody that can save me if this bar falls on my chest. Nobody's going to be like, nah, I'm, I'm in a really deep workout. They're going to come with a smile. Yeah, I got you, man. And they're going to encourage you. You're right. I am strong enough to curl that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's the way. Ask for a spot, man. In, in life, ask for a spot. I got so much gold on this page right now. Keith, I've already like planned the social for this. Episode. Sweet. Well, let's wrap with the last question. Sherwin, thank you. It's been dope. I get the sense you're, you are a man of few words, but when you speak, they're pretty good stuff. So I appreciate it. Our last question is always, what do you want to leave the audience with? Man, find out why you want something and you'll figure out how. Find out what it is is actually your goal. Because once you figure out what the goal is, the steps to it, to break it down, you can figure it out, man. If you find out why you want something bad enough, you'll go ahead and do it. And that's what I kind of did with the business. I wanted more money. I wanted more time to spend with people and then just find people who, who have done it. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You know what I mean? The, the wheel's already there. So that's what I would leave with everybody. 